Hi, and welcome to The Other Half Podcast, the podcast that helps women navigate their careers in tech. I'm Jo Keneally, a longtime tech veteran and writer who has worked in companies of all shapes and sizes, from startups to big tech. And I'm Jerisha Nadaraju, an experienced product ops leader, speaker, and podcaster who has worked at scaling fintechs in London. We're two friends who have worked together, traveled together, and supported each other through the highs and lows of a career in tech. Over the years, we spent countless hours messaging each other about all the big and small challenges we faced as ambitious women in the workplace. We realized that the things we were talking about with each other were being experienced by so many women around us. Women who felt like they couldn't get ahead and were thinking of leaving tech altogether. This made us mad, so we decided to do something about it. We're bringing our conversations to life and providing practical advice to help ambitious women navigate the way. We've partnered with Hertility for season one of The Other Half. Irregular periods, hormonal acne, whether these symptoms sound familiar, you've been trying to conceive for a while, or are starting to think about your future family options, you deserve to know exactly what's going on inside your body, ovaries, and all. Get absolute complete clarity into your hormones and fertility with Hertility's at-home test and clinical services. Listeners and subscribers to The Other Half, based in the UK, get £10 off Hertility's at-home testing kits by using the code T-O-H-P-O-D-10. Today, we're joined by Joe and Jazz, co-founders of Luna, a wellness app for teenagers. In this episode, we discuss their journey from MBA students to founders, how they actually validated their idea, and what you should think about when picking a co-founder. Hello, Jazz and Joe, and welcome to the Other Half Podcast. How are you both doing today? Hello, we're good, thank you. Yeah, all good. I'm doing on holiday later. I'm actually really good. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we're happy to have both of you here and get into the nitty gritty of what it's like to be an early stage founder. Very excited to have you on. And I guess to kickstart it, we'd love to just find out if you could share a bit about your background and let us know how you first met each other. Yeah, sure. So... We both actually had quite similar backgrounds, sort of career-wise. Um, we both started our careers at Deloitte as management consultants. We never actually met, though, which is the sort of funny story, the fact that we were in the same building doing practically the same job for about five years, and we never actually met. We never crossed paths whilst we were at Deloitte. It was actually once we'd left, and we decided to both switch up our career paths and go and do our MBA. So we back, both went back to Oxford Saeed Business School in the height of the pandemic pandemic as well which was an interesting move we decided to go back do our MBA and, and both wanted to have a, a change and and that's really where we met met first as, as friends and then we also came up with the idea for Luna whilst we were on the course and then yeah decided to once we'd graduated take the idea and, and run with it shall we say and, and here we are nearly two years later. Wow I love that I think that's so funny that you guys were in the same building. So I didn't actually realize that you were both consultants at the same place, so at Deloitte, and overlapped, yeah. and they never met, and then are now running a business together. That's that's so cool. Yeah, it was really, really funny, actually. Once we found it out, we were like, oh my gosh, you must have been in in that building. On the, and it's like, yep, yeah, I was there. It's like on that those years like yeah we were both there so we were in slightly different areas so I did a lot more like finance projects strategy projects that jazz did more people and operations but we're we must have been in the lift at the same time together pretty sure that's awesome and I you guys say that you met you know properly on the Oxford MBA and I also did my MBA at Oxford and was at Said, and that was I mean that year goes by in a blur it's it's so fast 
yeah so fast yeah we as joe said we started in the height of the pandemic where you could only get together in groups of six i don't know if you guys remember that and um our cohort being the keynotes that that we are decided we would basically like book out every pub and like book tables of six and yeah i think in week two joe and i happened to get allocated on the same table and um, i remember just talking to joe and being like oh i really like i really like this girl like i really want to be friends with her we've got really similar backgrounds and joe's talking about how like she wants to do something really entrepreneurial after the nba and i was like gosh she's brave like i don't know if i really want to do that i said that in my um, in my application but really really happened but yeah, so I think because our MBA was such a strange experience as well, we really formed like quite good friendships at the start because we had to be sat for long periods of time with just six people. And so I think you really got to know like your people quite early. That was a real transformational, evidently, because we've now got a business idea that um, that came from it. So, so yeah, super cool. I love that. I feel like, you know, whether you call it the fate or whatever, it was really trying to bring you two together for such a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in a pub in Oxford. Definitely. Joe, you mentioned that you, you know, originally came up with the idea of while you were on the MBA. And I always find the origin stories of startups really fascinating and how they actually go from, you know, that idea, that chat moment to actual like a tangible real business. So how did the actual idea come about? And when you first got excited about it, what steps did you take to validate the idea? Yeah, so it was one of the the courses on the MBA was called the Entrepreneurship project and how we like to describe it is kind of the mix between the apprentice where they you know put a team together and then they all run around like headless chickens being like what are we doing what are we doing then mixed with dragon's den so at the end of term you then have um, a panel of dragons and they were real investors and also like our professors as well but mainly real investors that you have to pitch to and you have a whole term and at the start of term they say right go away you know come up with this idea and at the end of the term you're going to actually pitch it and you'll get a mark based on what you say and what you pitch and and your deck etc and so we decided Jazz and I we formed a team with three other women who were also international students as well so we had a real mix from you know different countries that we'd we'd all come from and it was one evening that we'd all got together we were talking about various ideas that we were sort of thought we could do for this project really getting anywhere and the conversation turned more to female health issues that either we were having our friends were having and especially in our like late 20s you know at the time that we were then and no matter where in the world we came from the conversation always came back to like why did no one tell us about these things when we were younger? Like, why why is it only now that our friends or our sisters are getting diagnosed with PCOS or endometriosis? Why are we only talking about the years of pain that we suffered with every month, but never thought to do anything about because actually no one really told us that that was actually something like a red flag that we needed to, to look out for. And that was really where the idea came from. We all were just like, gosh, it must be different now. We were at school like 15 years ago. Surely the curriculum's changed. Surely they teach young girls and, and women now more about their body and their health. And that was the catalyst and what we decided to do then we just did some basic research you know firstly in terms of like the PSHE curriculum that is uh, mandated in in UK schools and then once we'd realized actually that looked pretty similar to what we remember we had we actually went into schools and we went and we spoke to teenagers and we said to them like What's the health education like that you get now in schools? Is it any good? Do you listen? What do you think of it? And they were the ones that were like, no, it's terrible. And we surveyed thousands of teenagers in total. And actually, 
average that they rated the health and well-being education they get a three out of ten like that was the average three out of ten and we were just like this is crazy these girls are going through adolescence with absolutely no education but actually what we found is like instead of having no education what they're doing is learning themselves through tiktok and tiktok is now their primary source of health and well-being education and once we did a dive into the world of TikTok and, and things it doesn't take long to realize that actually the information on there is just really quite scary quite dangerous and you know in many cases just incorrect and and that's what the, you know they're they're learning from because that's that's the only place that they think they can find information from so yeah that was the origin we were like gosh we need to do something about this like why don't we make a platform where teens can come to us and learn through verified doctors medical sources but still in a fun and engaging way so it's you know it has quite a tiktoky feel in the sense that like you know it's short videos short articles but it's all fronted and faced by junior doctors, like young medics who create the content and, and put it out there. And yeah, that was sort of the, the origin story. And then we pitched it to these investors at the end of term um, on the panel. And actually they were the ones, so Octopus Ventures were on the panel and they turned around and said, guys, this is actually a really good idea. This is a great pitch. Who's going to take this forward? Are you going to actually do this thing? And that was when we sort of start to sow the seed of like oh maybe there's maybe there is something in this like we we believed in it but actually when you hear it from someone else an external source especially like an investor who sees as they say pictures hundreds of them every week that we thought yeah maybe this is there's something in this that is such an amazing story and I love how organically it just flowed as well you know like oh an idea shared problem and then actually going to do something about it. You mentioned like you got really great feedback from the investors. You know, you had spoken to a thousand students and really validated the idea. But Jazz, you know, starting a business is a really, really big, scary thing. And Jazz, you mentioned, you know, it wasn't necessarily on your original plan. So what was the moment that you realized, actually, it's worth go all, going all in on Luna as a business? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Obviously, when the panel turned around and, and said, this is a really good idea, that did sort of get me thinking. But at the time, I was still like, no, I'm going to go to VC. I want to be on the other side of the table. I've got my internship. I did my internship and actually realized, God, I'm terrible at saying no to things. Maybe I do need to be an operator and actually be building something. But second to that, Joe had in that this was sort of for her and pulled me aside and said, like, I think I'm going to do this. Like, are you in? And I was like, oh, you know, um, kind of in, but I, I'm nervous. You know, I've just spent all my money on this MBA and I can't get my funds back up. And, you know, I've just got engaged. Like, how am I going to do this all? But then I was like, oh, I can't let Joe like, make all this money and make all this impact on her own. Like, no. Um, so I said, I'm kind of interested me to do a little bit more validation. But this was around July, I think. So schools were just, were just about to close down. And we all know like the last week of school is like we watch films and do fun things. So what we did, we went back to our old schools and we, we spoke to the users. And when they were following up with us afterwards, sort of saying, like, how can we download it? Can we do work experience with you? Can I come build the app? I think that was the moment and I was like, wow, like there really is a massive need for this and we'd be really silly to miss out on this huge opportunity. And to be honest, when we started in, in October doing this full time, I did have a side job for like one or two days a week because obviously like the first few months you can't, you don't have the cash to take a salary. We've won a very small grant of £20,000, which also had helped us. Okay, it's not just Joe and I and his teams, I think it's but there's an independent party who also believes in this but that 20k was to help us like you know get a prototype together and help us reach these teenagers so it wasn't like all in for me straight up 
I did have a side job and I was for two days a week working on Luna. And it was only when we'd finally like built this prototype, run this pilot, saw them using it. I was like, right, no, we are going to raise money for this. I need to focus five days a week on this. So yeah, I think a couple of steps happened to make me realize there's something in this. Uh, I think it's so interesting what you said about taking that part-time job to help you bridge that gap as well because there's such like a taboo in startup folklore it's like oh no you need to go all in on these ideas and without realizing that actually one of the barriers to people starting businesses is they don't have that cash and when I think of a lot of founders I know who just went for it it was because they either had partners who could pay for their rent or they were able to move in with their parents and I think like there is absolutely nothing wrong. A lot of successful businesses start off as side hustles. And I think it's something that we should promote more for sure. So I love that you really just did that and took that chance on yourself as well. For you, Joe, you mentioned you kind of knew you wanted to go down the entrepreneurial path, but on a personal level, like how did you decide that founding a startup was the right decision for you? I think it was after, so after obviously we were working on Luna through the, the whole term. And at the same time, I was applying for post MBA roles but there was nothing that I was like oh I really want to do this job I was just going through the motions of applying for these jobs being like it looks okay I probably could do it like do I really want to do it though and actually I think as we were working through Luna and the project and I was getting more and more invested in it I was just like I just really want to do this but it it felt like one of those things that like I just really want to do this but like how do we do it? We went to business school for a year, but no one taught us how to actually start a business, which seems crazy. But <laughs> like we were just it was just a bit like, oh, we really want to do this as a business. But what does that even mean? How do we actually just like leave one day and decide we're going to start this as a business? So, yeah, I think it was for me the combination of the fact that I was applying for these jobs, not really finding anything that really started that fire of like, I really want to do that when I leave. And also once we'd had the feedback from the panel, just being like, you know, this is a great idea. That sort of the combination of the two. And then I spoke to my parents and my dad's had, you know, his own business for, forever, as long as, you know, I've been around kind of thing. So for him, it was like, he was just like, yeah, do it. Great crack on kind of thing and it was great to have that kind of support my mom on the opposite hand she was more nervous she was like I think you should go and get a nice corporate salary from somewhere you've just you know done an MBA you go and get a nice salary but I think having that support of my dad being like look try it for a year if it doesn't work no you know what's the worst that can happen luckily here we are two years later and we're still going I, I love that and kudos to your dad for just telling you to go for it as well yeah <laughs> yeah I love that too and I think having people in your life whether that's parents or friends or whoever it is who have their own businesses or are entrepreneurial is so great I know for me myself my dad was also an entrepreneur and I think for me if I take that step it's something that I've already seen someone do and so it's very inspiring and it's sort of this the seed has kind of been planted in a way but deciding to do a business and deciding to do it on your own is is one thing but if you're deciding to do it with somebody else you've got to pick a co-founder and it's such an important decision because uh, I think we read that it's estimated that 65% of startups actually fail because of co-founder conflict. So we'd love to know what advice would you give to someone looking for a co-founder? Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, primarily, one of the big things is actually being friends with the person that you're going to be a co-founder with, regardless you know, of, of working together and it not just being a working relationship because... Honestly, Jazz and I probably spend more time speaking to each other, with each other, messaging each other 
than anyone else like you know Jazz is married Jazz is a husband and I'm sure she spends more time like messaging me and speaking to me than you know she does to poor Jazz and I think you have to know that actually that you can do that for many years because it will be you know many years having that friendship first and foremost is so important when actually if you don't really know the person and you're trying to work with them it's actually really hard to know like even just things like working styles and just how how each other like to work um because yeah you spend an awful lot of time with each other whether that's you know physically or virtually but or just just messaging and and, and speaking to each other so so yeah I think that's probably one of the biggest things really is um you know if you don't actually like each other in the first place or you wouldn't really hang out with them outside of work then you can imagine in sort of especially in a startup situation because it's not it's not like being in a in a corporate you know it's not like it's not a nine to five it's not a you know you log on at nine o'clock and say bye to your colleagues at, at 5 p.m and go home it's all through the day it's all through the night I mean Jazz and I have been crying on the phone to each other I think until like 11 o'clock into literally the middle of the night which obviously if you're in a corporate career you probably wouldn't do that with with anyone that you worked with <laughs> yeah Joe summarized that really well I definitely think yeah having to like that person and enjoy spending time with them is really important yeah the only two things I'd, I'd maybe add is like being on the same page as that person I think Deloitte and us having quite similar backgrounds work ethic standards really helped because yeah we both operate quite similarly at a fast pace and also in terms of like vision and what we want to do with the business I think that's also like really really important something that Joe and I do have and then following that alongside sort of being on the same page you also need to have like complementary skill sets because there really is no point of having both of you being able to do the same thing and whilst neither Joe nor I are technical Joe is definitely more of a data head finance numbers he's definitely better from a quant side of things and I think yeah, my skill set is definitely a lot softer. I'm a more creative. I'd be in the theatre if I wasn't and wasn't doing Luna. So I think like growth, community, people, that side of things is, is my strength. So I think we have really clear responsibilities, but also things that we love to do. Like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, just from this podcast, I can pick up on the energy and the fact that you guys obviously know each other really well and do, even on this podcast, sort of complement each other in your styles. So um, well done on choosing well, I would say. <laughs> One thing I think, Joe, you kind of touched on it is that it is very intense. So I, I've been in an early stage startup and, and Joe has also been in an early stage startup. And even those environments, it's a completely different type of, you know, emotions and things that you go through compared to being in a very corporate environment. How do you guys manage conflict with each other? Do you ever come to a thing where actually, I don't know, Joe, you want to do one thing, Jazz, you want to do something else? How do you guys figure out a way forward if that happens? I don't think it has happened I mean correct me if I'm wrong Jazz you might be like it happens all the time <laughs> I don't think it's actually happened where we'd say it's like conflict in any sense because I think as Jazz said we are very aligned on what we want to do with the business and where we want to take it and we have regular catch-up each week but you know regular check-ins like you know across the months and across the quarters to be like are we heading in the right direction what's the main focus for the next six months what's the main focus for next year where do we need to be by our next funding round and I think we're both very logical in the sense that like we know what we need to do to get to the next round and it's not just about getting to the next funding round but obviously it's like 
the the cash is the kind of catalyst to everything so it's a good anchor to have that in the ground to be like that's where we need to head and I think so in terms of conflict and in ideas it's not like we're like oh well we need to now go off and do this and I want to go and do that like we know what our north star is and we know who we are as a company and I think that is always what we have to come back to it's like well actually does that does that get us to the point where we actually you know we are for teenagers like is that following that or you know are we, are we doing something crazy and, and off-piste kind of a way I wouldn't say we ever have conflict in in that and obviously there's things that like we have we bring different ideas to the table but we just talk through them and we're like oh you know I'll think of doing one thing Jazz will think of the other but it's not one is better than the other it's just that neither of us have thought of the other thing because like Jazz said we've got quite different sort of right brain left brain types of way of looking at things um you know and I'll always come thinking of my master finance spreadsheet and being like do we have the cash for this whereas like jazz will come obviously with the big creative ideas which I would never think of because I'm always just thinking like well do we have the cash for any of this but it's not to say that either one is like right or wrong it's just two different ways of looking at basically the same thing so so yeah and we just honestly we just talk it out and we're like yeah let's do that and we don't we don't hang around like we don't we won't sort of sit on you know discussions or ideas for a long time unless it's like a really big decision but honestly we just want to get stuff done so we'll just make a decision and we'll move on and we'll make a decision and move on and yeah I mean we've probably not got every decision right along the way but you know nobody's kind of expecting us to but I think yeah we've done pretty well to sort of two years in get to the point where we have done kind of employing that logic <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you have done very, very well over over two years. Um, I love that you mentioned the fact that you come back to your why or your North Star and that frames all of the discussions and what you do, because it's always thinking about whether you're moving in the direction that you guys have obviously aligned on. But on the topic of doing well, you know, Luna secured, I think it was a £660,000 pre-seed investment from angel investors, which is amazing. So congratulations on doing that. And you guys are fundraising again, which is also very cool. We'd love to know, you know, what are some of your key learnings from going through the fundraising process? We have actually just closed our second race. We can now say we've raised over a million pounds, which is really cool. And I think with that in mind, I just want to say, like, it is possible to raise money because as we've been speaking to more female founders, whilst it is incredibly hard, it is possible. And I just don't think people should be, like, so disencouraged by it. Or discouraged, that's the word. Because, like, yeah, well, it's hard. It takes a lot of, like, mental pressure, but it can be done. And it's really good when it... A good feeling when it is wrapped up. So one... Thing we've had to do differently this time round is be quite targeted so when we did our first round last year we spoke to literally everyone under the sun who would have take a call with us and that's I think primarily because first nobody had heard of us we didn't really have a network once we had finally started to get some introductions people were making introductions we were taking calls of like series A, B, C. I mean why would we do that we didn't even have products at this point um, we were getting like you know false hope at the end of these calls because they tell us like, oh it's a great idea and yeah we love you guys and we're like, oh my god like maybe they're going to invest obviously that didn't materialize because we didn't even fit their thesis um and yeah I think whilst it was probably great to get on a lot of people's radar the reality was like they were never going to invest in a pre-product the pre-traction pre-anything investment and it led to a lot of like false hope for us so when we did this sort of smaller top-up round we were really targeted in who we were taking calls with and who we were not taking calls with primarily to just keep our sanity because it's 
really draining having these calls and having to tell your story and then having to hear feedback from people who don't really understand your product or your market but then you get thinking and then you spiral a lot oh my god maybe they're correct so we were like no this time we are only going to take calls with angels who have invested in similar products who get what we're building or vcs who potentially could put a check in for a round of only 500k which isn't that many vcs it's primarily like micro vcs or very early stage accelerator type vc so i think yeah first thing is like be super targeted and the other piece which i think joe and i also did really well is not to have both of us focused on fundraising so we sort of divided and conquered and as we did the second round that was even more important because we actually had a business to run with a team and with a live product so yeah joe and i sort of tackled both those things and i did a lot of like the cold outreach and the initial searching of who we were going to to go out to and asking for introductions and once we got that first call in both joe and i would hop on the call but that obviously meant that Joe could keep focusing on building the product, managing the team, managing like the growth. And I think that divide and conquer strategy like worked really well. But having us both on the call also really helped because like to your point before, you know, we do bring different things to the table. I think that's really important to see. I don't know if you've got anything you want to add to that, Joe. No, well, just to say really that it is a lot of work and there's no sort of two ways around it. Like you have to put the legwork in and as much as I completely agree with Jazz that like, you know, especially female founders shouldn't feel discouraged from the process, but just know that it will take a lot of work. It doesn't just come overnight. I've been having a lot of conversations with founders recently and, you know, just some of them give the impression that like, oh, well, we sent a few emails and never heard anything back. So like, that's us done now, then we're, we're not going to get any cash. And it's like, it is going to take more than like a few emails. Like you really going to have to dig deep into the depths of LinkedIn company's house like you've got to search for these people because obviously there's some angels that do advertise themselves on LinkedIn as angels and they want people to reach out to them but there's an awful lot of people out there who do invest but don't advertise the fact that they do you have to find them through other ways basically and and so um yeah and it's a long it's a long process and I think you have to be prepared for that and you have to be really quite sort of clinical about it and we also you know we had a really good plan in place essentially like we kicked off this fundraise way before we ran out of cash like way before and I think to some people some investors that was actually quite a surprise in the sense that they were like oh normally we speak to people when they've got like you know a month or two months runway to go and I think that was a really good move of ours because as much as like it was a stressful time it would have been way more stressful if you were looking at the bank account thinking we have eight weeks left. And it's not just eight weeks of, of of Jazz and I running this company. It's eight weeks of paying our employees, their salaries, their pensions, et cetera. Whereas, you know, we we started way, way in advance. So we knew that even by the time that we were collecting this round of cash in, we still had cash in the bank from fundraise one um so it wasn't as nerve-wracking shall we say in the sense that like we're literally running out of cash right now i've got one more to add actually we looked at family and friends in our second round of funding but i actually think we could have done it in our in our first round the reason i say this is i think at the start when people don't know you and you don't have a product or any traction or anything I think it is actually really hard to get angel investors in our first round when we were reaching out nobody wanted to back us or even connect so we did go to our old bosses and people we know to put in like larger checks and that started to help get the ball rolling and then other angels were coming in after that 
But in our second round, we thought, okay, well, it doesn't have to be like these sort of bigger checks. We have actually got like our MBA network, our other friends who are, you know, now earning like good salaries and have seen us grow and we'd be able to prove like we can do this. And um, we are quite public on LinkedIn. We've been like building openly and we put this sort of ego aside and we we're like, okay, let's just do it. Like we'll do this friends and family round. And we thought we'd only raise maybe like 50K from it but actually we managed to raise 150,000 pounds from like friends family extended networks we did that via an SPV so it doesn't mean that you've got a very dotted cap table and yeah I think Joe and I were just overwhelmed by the amount of support that we had from people and like I said extended networks of people who had just heard about us and yeah whilst it's not quite a crowdfund because you sort of put a minimum benchmark it really was really effective and we were able to raise that 150k in about four weeks wasn't it joe three to mm, four weeks was, really yeah. quickly and i think that is also just another good strategy that we could have maybe employed like earlier on potentially that we were just a bit hesitant to do perhaps we didn't quite back ourselves and we were like oh maybe we don't want to like ask friends for money in case it doesn't go well but i'm really glad we did that this time round, and yeah really the support has been incredible. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that, Jazz, because I actually saw your post on LinkedIn about that. And I've been following both of you, seeing Luna, like just through my LinkedIn, you know, growing and the things that you've done with it. And I remember actually sharing Luna with Joe and another friend, like in one of our WhatsApp groups, being like, look at these women, they're like started this business. And this is amazing. And when you posted that about the round, it got me very excited. And I wanted to participate in it too, because again, you know, getting to a stage where you can angel invest and back female founders and diverse founders and people doing things that you actually care about is quite important to me. So I think it's fantastic that you advertised it and reached out to people. Because yeah, I think you'll find that there are way more people who find this kind of investment maybe more appealing than, I don't know, more more traditional ones. Well, thank you for coming into the round. But yeah, it was quite nerve-wracking putting that on LinkedIn because you're like, what if no one invests? Like, that's just going to be a massive flop. But actually... That post went kind of viral and there were like people we've never even met wanting in and we were like, oh, we don't know you. Do you yeah. know? Like we suddenly had a choice. I love that. I think there's something to be said for just backing yourself. And once you do that, like actually most people will want to support you and just really believing that as well. Well, changing tack slightly. So I think Luna is focused on a really interesting area, you know, helping teenagers navigate health and well-being, which I'm going to assume was probably not a focus area you had in Deloitte before you, you know, <laughs> you really started this. So what has the experience of building a product in this area focused on this age group been like and what have you learned from it? It has been so, so interesting. Yeah, you're completely right, Joe. Like we have no kind of previous experience with with teenagers, teenage health or or anything like that. And obviously it was a long time ago since we were teenagers ourselves and the world has changed quite drastically since then. It's been super interesting just the past couple of years really getting to really know this 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 group really and really understand this community and and what they need and I think you know we're also looking at it from the point of um, you know as women who were once female teenagers and had been through what they're all going through and as much as like we obviously can't relate to growing up as a teenager with social media and TikTok because I think I would like to say we were fortunate enough to get through our uh, adolescence years without the help of Mark Zuckerberg. Um, We can sort of relate to what they're going through on this level of like, you know, bodies changing and adolescence in general, but also learning about how how they have to navigate this world differently with smartphones in their hands, especially once they get to secondary school, which is just something that we didn't have. 
we are super close to our community just for that reason and the fact that we are building a product specifically for them and we're not teenagers and actually when we first designed the prototype um, which looking back now we like cringe inside about how terrible it looked but you know we were like it needs to be hot pink and yeah there's a branding there it's like hot pink and purple and all of this and we took it into the schools to be like wow what do you think we were like this is amazing they're gonna love it and they were like this is not aesthetic at all this is hideous <laughs> and actually we were like oh my god we need to change tact on like how we make any of these kind of decisions and basically you know ever since then so the past two years we really have been working so closely with this community we have a, a super user community of about 250 users and we have brand ambassadors as well who we regularly speak to we have we do zoom calls with them we share everything in terms of like branding new ideas like you know, we're redesigning the website at the moment and they've had input into what that should look like and everything to do with the product. Like they're the ones that suggest new product features. They send us feedback in the app saying, you know, like this, don't like that. And even down to the colors and the branding. So once we did our first round last year, so last summer, we employed a freelance brand designer who helped us figure out the sort of imagery and, and the color scheme, et cetera. And we kind of ended on two, which we then shared with our teenagers and it's like which one do you like this or that this or that this or that and it was just overwhelming the colors of Luna that we are now you know one sort of way out like 95% to 5% and the other sort of color scheme was like oh it gives clown vibes it's so ugly and all of this and we were like oh that was the one that we preferred but okay like if that's what you want then then let's go for it so yeah we're super user-centric and they make decisions for us basically which is brilliant I really love how you're like quite literally building with your users and for your users I think that is so powerful it's incredibly rewarding I would say like spending so much time in this community yesterday we invited them to our office to do like a mini work experience day to see all the different elements that create a startup whether that's like product whether that's marketing but also getting them to help us answer some big questions that we needed their help on and getting them to redesign some of the features um hearing how much they love Luna and, and watching how much they love Luna and the community and the friends they build after just a day in the office is is insane it's just really reminded me how much potential this product has really um and really grounded me especially having like all these fundraising conversations where you know people tell you it's not going to be possible etc etc um but above and beyond that rewarding piece there are complexities building a product for an audience that's primarily under 18 you know lots of safeguarding that we need to think about when it comes to product features the same around uh, marketing there's like legalities around what you can and what you can't do there the same around navigating the health space and, and, a, and a med tech platform whilst we're not a diagnostic tool and that is not our vision at all there are still standards we need to um, adhere to when it comes to communicating somewhat medical information the piece around building a product for minors and even like marketing to minors and how you win that community out over how do you create a product that is somewhat taboo in some senses but you have to try and make it cool they're all things that we're, we're like trying to work through and I think we have done a good job at that latter piece around making Luna a cool community to be part of yeah I love that I guess with one of the things in building the community, do you find that the the girls who end up using the product or the people at school, they share it with their friends? And is that how you're getting traction from them thinking it's really cool and then showing it to other, other people? Definitely. I think that is 100% 
one of our primary channels and something we want to lean into more around how we get community referrals from two to like five because if you can imagine a base of twenty five thousand users and referring five people like mm. like a pretty big jump but we have also had really big success on tiktok as well so for our organic posts on tiktok again it's a community-led channel so we've got our ambassadors who find trends for us but then also make tiktoks for us and because our users resonate with the topic from the platform but the people on the platform we're growing there as well we've done some testing with ads um tech is like super low but um, yeah we really really want to be more of an organic community growth piece i think that's really important for consumer but really important for a product that could be potentially cringy so having it be a cool app that you're proud of and that someone's recommended to you is like really important for us and redoubling down on that and how we make that happen is um is a sort of big focus on the next phase of growth for me very interesting and i i mean i'm assuming that probably you're finding that schools are very supportive of having you come in and sort of not a partner in a way but like an ally who can help yeah. Luna. but i don't know if that is the case yeah, so they're a really good distribution channel for us. And schools bring in an array of talks from different providers. And I think for us, when we go into school, it's great because we speak to hundreds, if not thousands of teens, whether at a time throughout the day. And we just want to make sure our session is like, dare I say it, cool um, or different to the others. So they don't walk away like, oh, this is another cringy app that school's like pushing on me. They actually walk away being like, this is really, this is actually um, something I want to be part of and I'm, I'm proud to be part of. Well, I think the whole premise of Luna and what you're trying to achieve is really important. Like you were saying, I think you were sitting around and saying, why did we not learn this when we were younger? I had that same sort of feeling recently. I was looking at things that had to do with fertility and going through research. And it was one of the first, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many things about my own body and about all of this, you know, this information that I was now Googling and finding that I hadn't realized, like almost going back from, you know, when you were younger and not understanding certain things that you think would just be basic things that women should know about and you should know about when you get to this age, these things happen, etc. So I think that is awesome. I feel like we could probably chat to you, both of you, for quite a while. But I'll end on one final question, which is, you know, this podcast is all about helping women navigate their careers in tech and take action. We'd love to know what advice would you give other women who are actually considering becoming founders? I think I would just say, just just try it. You know, it's one of those things that you can read all of the sort of startup books and, you know, read about everything and you can sort of learn all the theory behind it. But, you know, like we said, I think at, at the top of the conversation that actually going out and just doing it, like we had an idea and we just had to try it. There was no other way of, of figuring out whether it would work or it wouldn't work. We had to just try it and I think it's just about being brave and taking that first step and also maybe putting in place things that you know can help you along the way so if you can work on it whilst you've still got another you know a salaried job and, and do things in the evenings or do things at the weekends and you know you have to make sacrifices you're not going to be able to still have quite the social life perhaps that you thought you would be able to or quite as much free time but if you really believe in your idea and what you're doing then the only way to try it out is to see if other people believe in it and see if there is the traction out there 
so yeah I think for any any women or anyone really who who has an idea and really believes in it then I would just say just try it just test it in a small way and and then kind of keep building up those tests because that's what we did really we tested it speaking to users and then we did surveys and then we made the first version of the app and you know these kind of tests all built up to the fact that we then launched an app on the app store and actually then it's very real then but actually we had a whole year beforehand of of doing these like smaller tests along the way i got two pieces of advice the first is like doing it solo is really really hard so i would just really encourage someone if they can to have a co-founder who you really love working with so going back to like some of our points before it is just such an emotionally draining journey it's got so many highs but also so many lows and I think it's really hard to, to do it on your own and you need breaks here and there and you need to like share the responsibilities so yeah I think if you can find a co-founder I would highly encourage it and then the second is just to make sure you've got like the right support network in place be that partners be that friends be that family it is a long and tough journey and people do need to like step in and help whether that's like you know helping you like run errands or helping you like even like cook meals and stuff like that I just think yeah or like just even knowing what you're going through like when you are fundraising to Joe's point you're not gonna have a social life you just want to get this done and I think having that support network around you letting them know what you're about to take on having them on board is also really important I loved all of that. It was so great speaking with you both today. Like your energy is infectious. I feel like I need to go out and to start a business now. And you shared so much wisdom, which I think is going to be so helpful for anyone who's either thinking about starting a business or, you know, in the depths of possibly very difficult times in their early stage startups and just hearing how you both tackled it and went through it and all the advice you gave was super helpful. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, we've got our website so you can drop us uh, a note through the form there we are on socials as well at we are luna app so instagram and tiktok and monitor all of our dms and then if you want to email us it's hello at we are luna app as well and you know shameless plug if you know any teams in your network who might benefit from luna definitely send them our way tell them to check us out and they'll realize that it is actually a really great community to be part of and i'm sure they'll love it and we'd love to hear their feedback too we will definitely be sending any teams that we meet your way so <laughs> we'll do that yeah Please do. thank you again for joining us this was great thank you both Bye. if you've enjoyed listening to this episode and the podcast in general please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Other Half podcast. Even better, share it with your friends and colleagues as that helps others find it. Thanks, and bye for now. Bye.